Cool. How we doing? Beautiful. All right. I want to invite you to turn to the book of First John, chapter three, Primero one, chapter three. What's Spanish for chapter? Burrito. What? Primero one, burrito trace. Away we go. Welcome to the fellowship, especially if you're joining us for the first time. We're thrilled you could join us today. We're going through uh, this letter called First John. Uh, today is Communion Sunday, so what we're going to do is I'm just going to offer a few thoughts. I have a couple of big fun words for us to look at, and then we'll spend some time in prayer, and then we'll do another song while we take communion, okay? Um, for the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, for us it's a regular ritual that we go through and experience to remind us, to ground us, and to center us in God's love. Um, is there anybody here today who needs a fresh reminder of God's love? Yeah. Is, is there anybody today who could use a fresh word and a fresh experience of God's grace? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Is there anybody here, and you don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but who has somebody in your life who you are having a difficult time loving and you could use a little help today? Yeah, is there anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, is, maybe like, you, yeah, if you leave here with a little less ambition to kill them, it would be a step forward, yeah. We just take it where we can get it. So at the center of communion is this, is this bread we dip in this cup that speaks of Christ's body and blood. Uh, for us, at the center of our faith, at the center of life, is, an, is this understanding that we are recipients of a gift. It's, it is a precious, sacred gift. It is breath, it is life, it is forgiveness. It is, it is this gift of Christ and, and new life. So what we do is we just take time to realign ourselves and remember this on a regular basis. Because that, it, does, it does something to us. It shapes our hearts. It molds and transforms us in particular ways. So I'll offer a few thoughts on First John 3 and then we'll do some music and you can come up and take the elements and spend as much time as you would like. All right? All right, let me, um, let me just say a word of prayer first, and then we'll move on. Um, God, I'm sure that there are those here who have brought all sorts of pain and worries and stresses and anxieties and burdens in here today. And so we ask this morning that you will speak to each of us what we need to hear. We, we ask that you will free us, release us, liberate us, convict us. We ask where it's dark, you'll shine the, shine the lights, turn lights on. And where there's confusion, you'll bring clarity. As we look at these ancient words and as we take this ritual, we ask for a fresh reminder of your love. That is the, the oxygen that we breathe. That is the light that we see by. So it's in your redeeming name. And everybody said, amen. All right, we're going to go to 1 John 3, verse 11. 1 John three eleven. It says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who hates his fellow believer is a murderer, and you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. Uh, Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates A fellow believer is a murderer, 
and you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. So he starts by talking about Cain, this early biblical story of Cain, one of the first brothers, killing the other first brother. Then in just a few words, he, we go from this early, early story uh, to today and how we act with each other. So he speaks of crossing over and that when, when you hate and you do not love, you're in some sort of death. And then when you love, you are, in that moment, you cross over into some sort of life. Let me show you a word that John uses here when he says we have passed from death to life. He uses this Greek word. We're going to put it up. Should be, there you go. So here it is. Anybody want to try to pronounce that one? Metabebekamen? Metabebekamen. Feel free to say metabebekamen. Good. If somebody asks you if you speak in tongues, the answer is metabebekamen. Right. That's a joke. Don't get mad. The, this word, meta, means change, like metamorphosis, change in form. Beno, to come or go. So to come and go into a completely different place. What the writer here says is that when we love, we are demonstrating that in some amazing way, we have metabebekamen from death to life. We have changed and transformed and moved from death to life. John talks about <clears throat> Cain and Abel and says from the beginning there's been this sort of murder lurking. There's something within us that's against our brother or sister, neighbor or family member. <clears throat> there's something in us that grinds against those around us, that fails to love, that slanders, that gossips, that commits violence, that abuses, that exploits, that murders. There has been a sort of death present all around us lurking in our hearts. But we can, we can literally be transformed and cross over now in this life into a kind of life that endures forever. John is going, you can trust this God and you can open yourself up to the life-giving power and redeeming activity of this God. You can say yes to this Jesus who conquers death. When you open yourself up to the, the real life of God, then you cross over at that moment from death to life. He says, when you love and when the love of God that has taken over, um, out over you begins to spill over into those around you, you demonstrate that you have metabebekamen from death to life. And, you know, the writer doesn't say, here's how you line it up right in your head. Here's how you believe the right thing. The writer says, we know that we have metabebekamen when we find ourselves loving our neighbors and our brothers and our sisters, those people around us. Love is the sign of transformation, period. Now let's go back to the text because John is just getting going. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. <clears throat> Last week, uh, a couple weeks ago maybe, Cana went to a party at one of her friend's houses. It's actually the bomb's house. She had a little party. Uh, but she went and she had this fun at this party. And so Katie and I took Rin out for a night on the town. <clears throat> and so Katie and I, uh, you know, we went to eat and we took, her, we, went, we took her to Chuck E. Cheese to play some games. She loves Chuck E. Cheese. I, on the other hand, uh, don't. So you've heard me say it before. Chuck E. Cheese is not my favorite place. I know it's not, maybe not a popular opinion, but I'm not afraid to cover the hard-hitting topics like Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> But Chuck E. Cheese, you exchange $94 for 267 tokens, which would, you can win 13,000 tickets, which can be exchanged for a Tootsie Roll, you know. <laughs> so, it's a great business model. 
Anyway, I do love skee-ball, but so. Kana left, and we, we took Corinne, and we told her we're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And she was just so happy. And I could have asked her to, you know, wash our car every day for a month, and she would have tried to do it. There was just this, especially with a kid, there's this beautiful moment when they're grateful. The philosopher Dallas Willard says that what happens as we get older is we learn to control our facial muscles. You know, that's the problem. We feel something that we know how to, you know, you know, we feel something, but we know how to make this face that looks different. The kid hasn't learned that yet. If they're grateful, gratitude spills over into their face and their entire body. You know what I'm talking about? So this is why, you know, come October, you start buying gifts and putting them, putting them away in random storage places in your house for Christmas time because you love to see this gratitude, this exuberant gratitude. So we were driving to Boardman, and I look in my mirror, and Rin is sitting in the back seat, and she's just smiling with this profound sense of happiness and gratitude. At the heart of the Christian faith is gift, gift of breath, gift of life, gift of forgiveness, gift of resurrection. At the heart of the Christian faith is gift. To be a Christian is to choose to orient your, your entire being around this gift. This is why complaining, whining about things, having a sense of entitlement, having a scorecard of all the ways of which this person got a bunch of stuff you didn't get, or this person got all this, this, these wonderful things that came their way and you got passed over. That's why these sorts of attitudes simply cannot exist in the center of the Christian faith, because it's about gift. Gratitude and anger don't exist in the same place. Gratitude and entitlement don't exist in the same place. One will push the other out. That's why communion is so important. It's about remembering the gift. Repeatedly reminding ourselves of the gift of salvation through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. In James it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, So that's what we remember. John here is talking about love and in talking about how from the very beginning we as humanity have struggled with love and how we can actually cross over from death to life, from from hatred to love. He says, now Jesus gave his life and so out of response to that profound gift, we then live lives in which we give. We are filled with gratitude and that gratitude spills over into the ways in which we deal with others around us. We have received what we never deserved, so of course, we pour it out on those who don't deserve it. Of course. That's how you live. At the heart of the Christian faith is gift. Is there anybody here today who maybe has found themselves in a pattern of complaint or bitterness or entitlement? Is there anybody here who feels as though life was supposed to have given you something better and it hasn't and you're a bit upset about it? You're a bit hacked off and you want to know who you can hold accountable for this. Communion is when we drag all of that to the table and we ask God to remind us that life is a gift and we would rather live in a spirit of gratitude than any other way. Is there anybody here today who has anything that they need to bring to the table and then leave there? It's much better to live as if it's all a gift. John isn't done. He keeps going. Verse 17 If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? So he starts with Cain and Abel and how we're at, you know, we're, we have these, you know, if you have material possessions and a brother or sister around you is in need but you don't have pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? 
Let me just show you a couple of different translations just to kind of get an idea of how different people have interpreted this verse. So here's one translation, the New Living Translation. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Notice this next one. This is an international standard version. Whoever has earthly possessions and notices a brother in need and yet withholds his compassion from him, how can God's love be in that person? So instead of has no pity, it withholds compassion from him. Um, Then notice this one. Here's the King James. But whoever hath the world's good and sees a brother have need and shutteth up his bowels from, wait, from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Um... So, we started with um, shows no pity, then we worked to withholds compassion. Now, King James, if you shutteth your bowels. Um, I don't exactly know what that means, but my assumption would be that that would be a good thing that you would do towards somebody. Shutteth your bowels, but as opposed to the other, but yeah, you'll, you'll find a whole series of translations that derive the same logic. This shutteth the bowels. I want to show you, and the reason why I'm showing you this is because, in a strange way, it's sort of, um, this is actually probably a better translation because it gets at what the writer really is saying. So I want, to, want you to get a sense of how the original audience would have heard this and the, the subtlety that would have been present there that you miss in modern English translation. So the, the shutting of the bowels in the Greek is the closing of your, and here's the word, the next one. You want to try that one? Splagshanon. Splagshanon. It's easy. And the shanon is considered the bowels, the intestines, also called the upper, upper viscera. So to see somebody when, they ha- when you have plenty and they are in need and you have what they need and do not help, the writer says you're essentially shutting your splagshanon to them. So if you can shut your splagshanon to someone in need, how does the love of God dwell, abide in you? So John is actually giving a brilliant commentary on the complexity of what it means to be a human being. You have your thought life. You have your intellect. You have your mind. You have those things. You have a place where you, where you think. You live from when you, you, know, you deny things. You agree with things. You praise things. You condemn things. Um, we have this mind and thought dimension of our being. Then we have this other dimension in our, in our being called the splanchanon by the ancient Greeks. The heart, the stomach, the guts. It's actually the place where you truly live from. When you say or hear, I hate that person's guts, right? This isn't because you differ with them over, you know, theories. This isn't because you intellectually decided something about them. You hate someone's guts is a language we have developed to say there's something about their essence that I do not like. Or we will say things like, I knew it in my guts, right? Which is a way of saying, I didn't just know it at some sort of head intellect level, but I knew it in the place I actually live from. We might say, I got, I got a phone call and just left me with this, this pit in my stomach. What we're really saying is there's, this, there's a seat of my being. There's some place where I actually hold things from which I actually live. We may be able to intellectually explain something and be able to rationalize it perfectly, but we, you know, we don't have peace. And so maybe we'll say, yeah, I totally get it, but I still I don't have peace because somewhere in my being, my splanchanon, I am still unsettled. The writer here says that, excuse me, that the love of God, it flows to others 
or it is shut off and doesn't flow to others from this opening or closing of this, this place called the Splanchanon. This is where we actually live from. We may say, I don't believe this. I do believe this. But then we, we're, you know, but then we actually live sometimes in a very different way. And sometimes what religion does is religion can gather people together and people can recite all the same things they already believe and then you can walk out the exact same person. Right? Religion can, at times, inoculate you from experiencing change and transformation. And this, this, this is kind of the cycle of the American churches. People come in and they hear how they should be radical. You know, and we, we, we name our youth groups names like Explosion with an X at the beginning or Adrenaline, it's you know, the cycle of getting pumped up every Sunday and then going home unchanged because we haven't let the Lord change the very foundation of our being. That's one of the reasons I love our youth groups, named Journey. That's perfect, because that's what it is. A journey of letting the Holy Spirit do the work in you that needs done. And the journey may seem slow sometimes. It may seem like it's take, you're taking tiny steps forward. But every movement forward is a step from glory to glory. When we talk about loving, you know, how many of us, excuse me, if I said, uh, it's good to love your neighbor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's created in the image of God. Yeah. All, All of your relatives and family members and co-workers are sacred creations made in the image of God. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally with you. You know, we'd all say yes to that. It is good to forgive. Oh, yeah. We should be patient with people who are hard to get along with. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The gospel is about loving your neighbor. Yeah. Okay, this person who wronged you, it's time to forgive them. We may may even say yes to that. But until the very seat of our being is disrupted in some way that we are moved to forgive them, we will continue to understand that it's right to forgive, but it won't ever truly happen. Jesus' invitation is to Allow the love of God to transform the foundation of your being from what you actually live. It is, in this, in, and in this passage, it is when you have that, that person that we have an unbelievably difficult time loving, and we cry out, God, I know what I'm supposed to do. I understand it perfectly. But I need my being transformed. I need change so that I can actually love them. That's where we live from. The writer here says, if you see somebody and they have need and you are shut toward them, how is the love of God dwelling in you? The hope and desire and intent of God is that this love would would transform us at our deepest foundation in our being and from there it would flow to those around us. Oh God, let something transformational happen in us. Something more than interesting or entertaining or thoughtful. Something awesome. Something real. Speak to us, Lord, and change us somewhere inside where it matters. Let something transform our real selves. Is there anybody here who has been a slave to a spirit of entitlement or complaint or you feel like you've been wronged by the cosmos in some way? Today we drag that to the table and we just say, God, just change me on the inside into somebody who's a Who's a person of gratitude? Is there somebody who you have been shut to? Today it is simply saying, God, I do not have any sort of 
I don't have any sort of love residing deep in my bones for this person. I just need a, a little to take a step forward. Communion is this beautiful time where we are face-to-face with the grace of God, where we receive the gift. It is also a time of destruction where we drag that which needs to be transformed and we say, God, I, can, I can't do it on my own. I'm at the end and I want to cross over from death to life. Let's pray. God, as we come and take these elements, as we ask to be reminded, as we ask for, for certain things to be recaptured, as we search the real us, the place from which we, we actually live and move and relate and think and have our being, we ask you to speak to each of us. We ask you to do that work which we are unable to do on our own. We ask for a fresh working of your grace in the places that need it most. We, we thank you for these beautiful, these beautifully strong, confrontive words about what your love actually looks like when it takes on flesh and blood. We thank you for Christ, for forgiveness, for new life. We take this body and this blood, and we do this in remembrance of Jesus. We proclaim his death and resurrection. We acknowledge he is our source of life and breath and everything else. It's in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Come on down if you'd like. Uh, the Katie and Josh want to come forward. We're just gonna, you know, if the, if maybe we'll just have the prayer teams if they'd like to go first and then kind of take their places up by the stage. Then if anybody would like prayer after they take communion, feel free to go and see the prayer team. Um, probably along the sides over there. There's no rush. Maybe you need to sit and do some work with God before you take communion. Um, take your time. Get all that God wants to do in you today. Right? Maybe sit quietly and ask God to do a work in your core and listen for what he might say to you. When you are ready, feel free to come forward and take communion. All right? If you need to go, you're free to go, but please leave quietly if possible. Okay?